Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with episode 247, can you believe it, of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back once again, and we are here to talk all things WWE as this company is fast approaching. It's very special, uh, very highly promoted and publicized. First pay-per-view of 2022, day one, which is basically one set of go-home shows away as we tape this program. We do have vintage Chris Vanini joining me to break down everything this week from SmackDown and Raw. A couple news items to discuss as well before we get into the show, but we have once again another loaded episode for you here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. But you know the Silver King would be remiss if I started the show any other way than reminding you that Getting Over So please, and when I talk about being marks for the Silver King for Vintage and for getting over, what I'm talking about is leaving five-star reviews. And in the history of this podcast, 247 episodes, I have told you the same thing. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, leave a five-star rating and review, let people know how much you love the show. Well, here's a little interesting wrinkle that's that's come up. Spotify, which just so happens to be our number two outlet in which you folks listen to us. They have instituted a rating system as well. It is officially open. If you go to our main Spotify page, which by the way, anyone listening on Spotify right now, that's what you're on listening to us. Uh, You'll either see the blank stars. All you need to do, hit that fifth star. If you don't see the stars, there's a little three dot drop down under our cover art. You hit that drop down, you hit rating or whatever the hell it says there. You hit your five star, that's it. You don't even need to leave a review. I don't even believe there's a section for a review. So please, everyone listening to us on Spotify, drop those five star ratings. I believe uh, it needs 100 ratings in order for the rating of the entire show, the average, to show up. When that thing shows up, I want it to be five stars. It will take you, it should take you five seconds. Five seconds, five stars, Silver King Vintage, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. We would greatly appreciate it. And yes, if you are still listening on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else that may have a rating system, please leave that five-star rating. And if there's a space for a review, tell people how much you love the show. Tell them why you listen to Getting Over. Also, of course, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. So, Chris, with all of that out of the way, let's get into today's show. Uh, We don't have a movie conversation, at least not yet. Uh, to come up. I'm assuming, because I think I, I would have heard it from you already, you would have seen the Spider-Man movie if... Uh, I mean, I, I know that you had seen it if you had seen it. Is that correct? I have seen it. I did share my Spider-Man oh, uh, I missed it. rankings I missed last night. It it, it it expectedly drew a lot of scorn. Um, I Your, th- your seen, thoughts or the movie? My rankings. Oh, okay. I liked the movie. I didn't like it as some others, but I really liked it. It was good. Highly recommended. All right, so That's bad right. assumption on my part to open the show. That's really... Putting a good foot forward here for the rest of the program. But okay, so you saw it. I have not. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to. We have a very busy schedule coming up. In fact, you know what? Let's discuss that schedule. And then we'll go ahead and get into the show itself. And the reason why I want to go over the schedule is special shows, right? Um, And I want to make sure we all are on the same page. Now, the top thing to talk about is that the 2021 
getting over awards, a.k.a. The meetings. All right. I, you, Chris, you got to get on top of the ball here. Okay. This is not, I want, I want everyone to understand this is not a bit on the show. Chris is not prepared for the call and response when I set him up every single week. It's getting ridiculous at this point. That, that's the bit. Me, me forgetting and spacing out for a minute. That, that's the bit. If you were doing it on purpose, sure, but you're not. And that's the biggest problem. Anyway, uh, so the Getting Over Awards, we have the date set. We're going to tell you about it in a moment. Nominations are this week. Chris and I already went through all the categories. We have the people that we think are deserving of being voted on for each specific spot, but we want you guys to weigh in. So this Wednesday on Twitter, at Getting Overcast, we are going to tweet every single award uh, between Wednesday and Thursday, every single award that is uh, going to be up for voting. Then we will release the voting for the awards on Friday with the goal of giving you guys 72 hours to vote. Voting will close on Sunday, which means the 2021 Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. See, that one was on. That delay was on purpose. Uh, but yes. the, the Meaties will be handed out next Wednesday, not this Wednesday, next Wednesday on the 250th episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. So this is how the schedule is going to work. Of course, this week we will be back Thursday talking AEW and NXT. Next Tuesday, one week from now, we will have your WWE Day 1 Ultimate Preview with a full breakdown of everything that happened in the world of WWE. Wednesday will be that episode 250 with the Getting Over Awards. And then on Thursday, we will do AEW. I believe it's going to be the New Year's Smash results, along with an NXT New Year's Evil Ultimate Preview all in one show. And then on Saturday, we will have your WWE Day One Instant Analysis podcast, which I know you guys love so much. So that's the point. It is going to be a four-episode week to end the year. The Silver King is still trying to pull some strings to make that 250th episode even more special than it already will be with us giving out the meaties. But uh, we are excited to bring you a ton of getting over wrestling podcast content now through the end of the year. And then, of course, throughout 2022, when we will kick off what's basically almost year three here. Uh, our anniversary, I think, is in March. So, you know, it's going to be pretty close. But it's crazy that this podcast uh, is already basically entering that territory it feels like yesterday that we started this whole thing. So I appreciate all it of does. You. I appreciate all of you listening. And I appreciate Chris, who, as I've said numerous times, was not originally part of the plans for the podcast, jumping in. Hey, let's do a guest spot and let's see how it works. And here we here we are, Chris, you know, two years later, still doing the show. So it's absolutely fantastic and growing every day. And I appreciate all of you for listening and helping us grow. So there is a lot to talk about in the world of WWE this week. But one story that we were not able to get to this week, just based on when it broke and when we were doing the podcast, is the big news that Kevin Owens has re-signed with WWE on a multi-year deal that is reportedly 2 to $3 million annually. When it comes to wrestler salaries, it feels like they are never accurate. Like you can look at a Forbes list, you can look at this website, that website, even if Dave Meltzer or another journalist reports a figure. I find it tough to believe that figure because it's only word of mouth. You know, they don't have the contract. It's not like pro sports where everyone's salary is out there because there's a salary cap and you know exactly what everyone makes, guarantees, merchandise, whatever. Suffice to say, 
Kevin Owens is being paid handsomely for re-signing with WWE. And within that report is a belief, but not a confirmation that Sami Zayn may have re-signed with WWE as well. And Chris, when we've been having the conversations about all the superstars and all the wrestlers whose contracts have been expiring in NXT and WWE main roster, there were four guys who I thought, man, they need to stay. Not just because it's better for them, but WWE really needs them as well. Two of those four were Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn. The other two were Adam Cole, who obviously did not. He left and he had every reason in the world to leave. And I think he's doing okay so far over in AEW. And Johnny Gargano, who has not renewed his contract, but also has not signed anywhere yet. It seems like he's going to go on a paternity leave, like personal paternity leave, just take time off uh, while his wife, Candice LeRae, has their first child. And then we'll decide what he wants to do with his future later down the line. But as far as Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn, look, I know KO is friends with a lot of those guys in the elite, working in the independents, ROH, they came up together. He had that Mount Rushmore faction uh, with, I believe it was the Young Bucks and Adam Cole as the other three. So there was a lot of strings potentially pulling him away from WWE. But as you and I discussed on this podcast plenty of times, KO brings something to the WWE product that most of its talent does not. And it's not the talent's fault. It's WWE's fault in terms of the scripting and how they overproduce so many people. KO feels like a real individual. When he is out there at any given time, you believe what he is telling you. And you can tell that he has the freedom of the mic to tell it to you in the way he wants. And you're seeing that right now in the storyline with Bobby Lashley and Big E and Rollins, where he doesn't buy a lot of the shit that's being thrown at him and the typical stupid WWE tropes. Can they coexist? You know, um, uh, a, a match booking making absolutely no sense. He will call that out live on television. Those things endear me to him as a character and make me want to watch the product because I want to see Kevin Owens. If WWE lost Owens, it would have hurt them a lot more than losing many of the great, super talented superstars that either have not resigned or that they fired for absolutely no good reason. Let's look at a Bray Wyatt. Losing Owens to me would have hit them way harder than losing Bray Wyatt, which was, of course, their own decision. So I'm happy for him personally, number one, that he is clearly going to get a significant sum to remain with the company. And I'm happy for WWE that they understood that they needed to go to a certain length to re-sign this person, and they successfully did so. You know, KO is a family man. I believe they live, I think they live in Orlando or maybe have two homes in Orlando and, and, and Canada. Um, so the fact that he kind of gets to stay within that whole operation, he's talked in the past about wanting to be a WWE lifer. This was before AEW existed, about wanting to be a producer, agent, work backstage after his in-ring career was over. This sets him up for that to potentially happen. Great job by WWE and very happy for Kevin Owens. Yeah, he, he, he's a guy who I've said many times, but he's a guy you can build the company around. He can be the most over face you have, and he can be one of the best heels you have. He He's just incredibly versatile. He can do everything. He can get the people behind him. He can get the people against him. He's just a, 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 essentially a five tool player. He can, he can do big men stuff. He can do, he can do small guy stuff. It's just, he, he fits everything and it would have been an absolutely huge loss. And I think obviously 
WWE knew that. I also think he wanted to stay. I, I mean, like you said, he had said he wanted to be a WWE lifer. He's a guy who, um, more so than some of the other people who have left for AEW, talks about how much just, you know, making a living for his family is the most important thing. He, you know, he's not someone who talks about wrestling versus sports entertainment and kind of that that kind of stuff. And WWE always seemed to be the best place for him mm-hmm. uh, for his family. So it's great as people who watch WWE. He is a big he's a major reason we watch it. And we'll get into you know what he's been dealing with on, on Raw and stuff. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I took him first in our mock draft or what. I, I think I had him pretty high because because I've always been high on him from the beginning. That debut, I mean, the NXT stuff was great, but the debut beating oh, Cena, so like, yeah. just a made man from the beginning, and he hasn't lost that. You know, people people get up when his music hits. People pay attention when he talks. Um, he's just a different kind of guy, and it's great. And one other thing about the contracts. Again, we don't know these for sure. There aren't agents out there spreading what their players are making. There's not a players association and stuff like that. But I'd also heard that WWE has moved away from a lot of the incentives and and merch sales and stuff like that. And it's just flat contract. And as a result, the contracts may be going up in in base salary. So that's potential, too. So that, you know, we, we don't know for sure. But either way, Kevin Owens is getting paid a lot of money. And he deserves to. And by the way, for anyone thinking, because that was a story that came out as well, that's actually a positive for the wrestlers. Like having guaranteed money and not having it based on merch sales or pay-per-views that you are on the card for, all of that's positive as long as you're getting higher numbers, which the report is that they're getting higher numbers. And I have to believe that those guarantees are not um, part of the reason for releases, but I could potentially see where if they're putting more guaranteed money in contracts, and they're not taking it from a different bucket, why they would say, okay, you know what? Maybe we need to trim some talent costs. Not 80 people in a calendar year, but you know, right. maybe minimal. You know, that, that would have made sense. So that is an interesting um, point to the entire thing. Now, you know, I don't know if or when we will ever find out about Sami Zayn. It could be one of those things, and this happens sometimes, where people are like, hey, that person's contract is expiring, and then there's never an actual report that they re-sign. They just never leave TV, right? Uh, so... To briefly touch on Sami Zayn, Sami falls into a similar boat of Kevin Owens for me. Sami's more of a character actor than Owens is. And the other thing with Sami is because he's been dealing with some injuries over the last couple of years, his in-ring work, not that it's been diminished, but he's wrestling less than he ever Mm -hmm. has before. But Sami, like Owens, for me, is almost in the midst of doing the best work of his entire career. Like, I think the character that Sammy's doing right now, this conspiracy theorist, the way he's able to talk the mic and get heel reactions, talk on the mic and get heel reactions. It is so interesting and he is captivating and pairing him, albeit briefly with Brock Lesnar, was certainly an exceptionally interesting thing that WWE has done here. So, you know, if he has re-signed, then the sentiments that I shared for KO, I share those for Sammy as well. And I also would think that's a great decision for WWE. If he is someone who does decide, hey, you know what? Let me go see what else is out there. I think wrestlers need to understand now, and I'm not saying this to him specifically, but them all in general, that you can't all go to one place. And they, I think a lot of people realize that about WWE. Every, you know, WWE tried to sign everyone. The vast majority of people agreed. 
and signed with WWE, and a ton of people didn't get used and ultimately got released. Now, AEW isn't releasing people, uh, or, and Tony Khan says he doesn't want to do that. That doesn't mean he never will, okay? He's still a businessman at the end of the day. And at some point, we already know that roster is bloated. So even if he doesn't release people, at some point, contracts are going to expire and people are not going to be re-signed there. And at some point, you have to kind of like look around and take, la- take a look at the landscape and say, where am I actually going to be able to be on TV, be used well, um, and you know, be a popular figure if that's your goal? And right now, there's two companies in the United States, and maybe you could mix together some independent appearances at GCW and Impact and whatever the hell maybe Ring of Honor is going to be in 2022 when it comes back in April, maybe you could throw a package together for yourself and get some notoriety, such as what uh, Zack Ryder, Matt Cardona is doing Mm -hmm. right now. But, you know, in general, there's two options. AEW is not going to be able to sign everyone. And not everyone is going to be able to leave WWE just for purely artistic reasons, which you would think would be the main reason they would want to leave, right? To be able to put on better matches. Um, So... That is something that we are going to see, I think, play out more in 2022 than we had in 2021, where it was basically, hey, anyone of value that WWE released, AW went ahead and signed as they as they should have. That was the right decision. Uh, but at some point, there's a law of diminishing returns is what I'm getting at. So I am kind of curious to see now that AEW has trimmed what it sees to have been fat. I disagree with that, but what they saw as fat now that they've trimmed it now that AEW has loaded up their roster. What happens to the wrestling landscape in 2022? Those are questions mm-hmm. that I think are going to be outstanding for us as we enter that year and, and really look at uh, the changing dynamics of the entire industry. Yeah, I mean, people have talked about it being a boom period, and I, I, I think we're kind of on the downward part of that a bit for the reasons we just laid out. WWE yeah. cutting and whatnot, and our ROH um, shutting down for to be determined amount of time. But you've also seen, you know, like GCW's kind of getting a little bit bigger. You know, like you said, Matt Cardona's doing things over different promotions. EC3 and the control the narrative, control your narrative thing is doing multiple promotions. So oh, don't, I don't think put them in the same conversation because one of the one of them is doing great work right now. And the other one. No, I'm just saying, but he he's <laughs> it's he's got he's got, you know, Braun's drone and Adam sure with him now. So it's it's just sure. something you can do over multiple promotions, like like kind of the way the indies were kind of before AEW kind of con- consolidated all of it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm i really interested to see what that landscape's going to look like in 2022. Does NJPW make another U.S. push, you know, with, with Ring of Honor stepping away? I, I don't know. The, the, it's, the, the wrestling landscape changed in a big way in 2021, and I'm curious to see how that impacts uh, 2022 and where guys go and what they decide is is best for them. Guys and by guys. and by the way, there's other there's going to be other obstacles too because we're talking right now as we tape the show about uh, the Omicron variant of COVID-19 shutting down uh entire teams, getting games pushed, getting games canceled right now. Does 2022 start is day 1 the last live pay-per-view that you know or uh, you know uh, in-person pay-per-view that happens in 2022? I said 2021, I'm getting everything mixed up here, but do they have does WWE have to go back in the Thunderdome? Um do they need to pare down their touring schedule and only do, you know, cancel all the house shows and only do pay-per-views, SmackDowns and Raws? Uh, do they do two shows in one city? Do they start taping? Like, there's a million different things. Does AEW go back to Daly's place? There's a lot of stuff that could potentially happen here as 2022 is beginning um, that can drastically affect the industry once again. The industry survived, 
you know, for the most part, one hit of COVID, could it survive a second? And I'm not saying that it ever stopped. It didn't. But I think you understand what I'm saying, like Mm -hmm. massive shutdowns and all that type of stuff. So, you know, we'll see. Um, There's a lot for us to kind of keep our eyes out as that year is about to begin. We're talking about like this is our last show of the year. It's not. Uh, That's my fault for kind of getting into all that. But point is, you know, KO, potentially Sami Zayn, uh, the contracts um, and the rosters are kind of just the tip of the iceberg in terms of changes that can come in the coming year. Promotional consideration for this episode of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast is brought to you by DaVinci, makers of the world's most advanced vaporizers. DaVinci creates a -a one-of-a-kind vaporizing experience combining thoughtful design, meticulous engineering, and innovative technology. The DaVinci IQC vaporizer works with both dry herbs and extracts. It features clean first technology, advanced temperature control, and a replaceable battery to provide a -a one-of-a-kind experience. And just for you, our Getting Over listeners, DaVinci is offering 10% off any purchase of $30 or more on their website, davincivaporizer.com. Simply visit davincivaporizer.com, add products to your cart, and enter promo code DAVINCIGO, D-A-V-I-N-C-I-G-O. Whether you're spoiling yourself or looking for the perfect holiday gift, the DaVinci IQC Vaporizer is an incredible option. Again, davincivaporizer.com and enter promo code DAVINCIGO for 10% off any purchase of $50 or more now through December 31st, 2021. Okay, let's actually talk about WWE because that is what the show is about. It is the WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, Chris. And the way we begin this show every week is by sliding into the main event. Just a double main event this week, nothing too special. Um, Let's start with SmackDown as we normally do. We had Brock Lesnar arrived about like an hour into the show. He was met by Paul Heyman, who was waiting for Roman Reigns in like the loading dock area. Reigns showed up with 20 minutes left in the show. We didn't get the normal Roman sitting in his chair watching everything and commenting on it. And then Reigns finally got into the ring with 13 minutes left. He said he hated that the Usos lost. We'll talk more about that later. But they're his blood. Heyman is not his blood. He questioned what Paul's known about Brock and asked if he's a special counsel or if he's an advocate. And Heyman tried to clarify. He's like, I'm not protecting Lesnar from you, Roman. I'm protecting you from Lesnar. The whole back and forth between them, I got to say, it was incredibly well acted. Facial expressions, intonation, everything about that segment was superb. Reigns hugged Heyman. He said he loved him. He thanked him for his honesty. He thanked him for 40 years of service to his entire family. And then he fired him with a Superman punch. Reigns put a chair under his head and then went for the concerto when Lesnar made the save. Lesnar murdered the Usos, but absorbed chair shots like Thanos before picking up Reigns for an F5 and then adding a second one. The crowd went absolutely bonkers and SmackDown went off the air. I thought this was so much damn fun from start to finish. One of the best angles to close SmackDown in a while, maybe one of the best, just in terms of the end segment of the entire year. I couldn't help but wonder why this didn't happen in Los Angeles last week in front of that crowd that you built up to be such a big deal. WWE easily and successfully made Heyman a baby face and has Lesnar over as a face more than either of them have been in the last 15 years in those specific roles. Now, 
I don't know if this is going to last. I could totally see Heyman entering with Lesnar at day one, screwing him in the match and leaving with Reigns. In fact, that'll probably be my prediction when we get to the Ultimate Preview next week. But this was fun as hell. We don't grade non-match segments, but if we did, this would have been an A+. Yeah, no, it, it, it was it was great because they finally got to the question that's been hanging over this for like two or three months. Roman just finally straight up asked him, who are you with? And this this is, I know we say this all the time, but this is this was some of the best work of Paul Heyman's career. The way he said he was trying to protect Roman, but doing so in a way where he wasn't trying to like upset him and you know, uh, apologizing and, and hugging him. And yeah, Paul Heyman's a face <laughs> out of all of this, which is pretty wild. And yeah, it was just a, a great finish. It, it was a lot of fun. The, the, only, the only nitpicks I have is that, oh, first off, also, Paul gets knocked out and doesn't move the whole time. Just sit, just lays there on the ground the whole time. I wanted to see, I wanted to see um, Brock pick him up and like put him over his shoulder and like start to walk out of the ring as as the show goes off. I was like, that would have been a really cool image. Instead, they just did Brock standing in the ring, which was fine. But I just, I was thinking, I was like, is Brock going to take Heyman with him? Like that's the next thing because we didn't technically see it. Are we? That's what I'm curious. Next week, are we going to see Paul with with Lesnar and, and and they're fully back, or is is Heyman, is is Lesnar going to have to? learn to trust him again. So they've set it up pretty well there. So yeah, this was a lot of fun. And, and frankly, um, you know, you talked about Roman being back. Uh, he was, was gone last week. Um, I just, I want to, I, I think we need more Roman on the show. And, and because we only got him for this last segment, he only showed up at the very end. They hyped up Roman is back. And guess what? The ratings went up quite a bit. Yeah. Third, this week. third highest rating since fans came back. Yeah, and yep. you know Roman comes out with that shirt, that needle mover shirt, and you know what? It it worked. It li- he lived up to that. So he he is a needle mover, and you know I I haven't talked about it in a while, but you know I look up the before we do the show, I look up the WWE YouTube page just to kind of see what the views are, what people really liked. Both the the both the Roman and Lesnar stuff got more than two million views. Everything else is like less than five hundred thousand. So. Um, you know, we've gotten a lot of Brock the last couple of weeks. I, I want to get some, I want to get back to getting some more Roman because it's by far the best thing going on. Well, that's the thing with WWE. It's th- they never understand. Most things need to be the happy medium, right? Uh, do we want Reigns on the screen for 45 to 60 minutes a show? No, we don't. We complained about that. Do we want, I mean, I probably sc- would, but I probably would, but I get why not. Well, you can't not, not with life. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, but, but with, do you want him on screen for 13 minutes? No, we, we want like. 25 minutes of Roman or, or, you know, 20 to 25 minutes of Roman, a couple segments backstage, two short ones. And then you get them live in front of the crowd, whether it's for a match or a segment or whatever the case. So they got to find that that happy medium as with everything else. They just struggled to really find it. What I found interesting about the way this storyline was set up, Chris, is. And we always book the damn territory forward here on the show, and I'm not so much trying to do that as talking about what is a potential end to this storyline. WWE has a chance here. The goal of the Roman Reigns heel turn, as I've said from two years before they did it to when they actually did it, is to ultimately turn him face again. You know, WWE wants Roman Reigns, number one wrestler in the world, huge baby face, merch mover, 
seller, movie star, that whole deal. And they have not been able to, over an extended period of time, get him that over as a baby face. Well, the idea of Reigns even being an unbeatable super heel, which he is right now, just simply not being able to get over Brock Lesnar, who has kicked his ass his entire career. It is a really good storyline. And WWE, if they played it smart enough, could successfully execute a double turn with these guys six, nine months from now and finally get Reigns over as a face when he topples Lesnar. It would have to be nuanced. It would have to be very well executed. But the one thing that we can say when it comes to Roman Reigns and SmackDown and Paul Heyman is his stuff has been extremely well executed and frequently, not always, but frequently nuanced as well. Now, I have no idea whether they're going to do this, and it really does come down to whether they have the booking ability to do it, whether Vince and and Bruce Pritchard and all those guys can get in a room with them and say, hey, how do we actually execute this? But if this was the actual plan, and if they are going to use a potential Heyman-Brock alliance later down the line to do the double turn of them heel and Reigns face, it would be that crowning moment that they've wanted for Reigns that they have simply been unable to get year after year after year. I'm curious to know whether you think, not necessarily if that's the plan, but if it's feasible for them to achieve that or if it needs to come in another way. And after you give the reply, I'll tell you why I think it's very difficult to do it another way. Yeah, well, that's interesting because even a couple of weeks ago, Roman was really kind of getting a lot of starting to get some cheers. It was kind of getting 50-50 more. But with Brock back with a beard and overalls and everything, like he's very much the face. And and I and he, I don't think you can do a double turn anytime soon right now because Paul uh, Roman just punched out Paul Heyman. He's very much the heel in all this. Um, but if you're talking SummerSlam... That's what I was thinking. ...type of thing, right. yeah, then, 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 then perhaps. I'm just wondering... You know, is is this being set up for Roman to lose at, at WrestleMania before before then? I I don't know. Well, that's that plays into what I was going to say when I was I was waiting for you. The problem with this entire thing, and it's and Brock is doing great as a babyface. And oh, there's yeah. and there's no doubt. We hate rematches, and we don't like the idea that they fought at Crown Jewel. They're going to fight at Day One, and they're almost assuredly going to fight at WrestleMania. I don't love the idea that they're going to do. Three, maybe, hell, maybe they throw in a Royal Rumble match too. Three, maybe four matches between the same guys that we've already seen fight 10 times. I I don't love that, right? But, yeah. Go ahead. I'm not, well, real quick, I'm not certain we're getting them at WrestleMania, but that's, we can get into that later. Well, okay, no, no, we can get into it now because that's the point I'm making. They don't have anyone else. Like, the only two people, maybe three people I can think of where you could say, they could be an opponent for Roman Reigns at WrestleMania. Are Kevin Owens, which would be reestablishing the feud that lasted four months last year, and just kind of him winning the Royal Rumble and Roman, I'm coming after you. I'm going to finish what I started. Huge babyface pop. You can make that happen. Um, I think Seth Rollins is too far as a heel to do it. Finn Balor, I think you could potentially throw back into that role. I could see that happening. And the only other person is Drew McIntyre who is currently currently on SmackDown. 
but he is such a corny comedy, this, this weird thing that they're doing with him. They've killed his character that they would literally need the same effort behind McIntyre that they gave two years ago when they put him up against Lesnar, when he won the Royal Rumble and he became a badass and he had that string of where he beat the shit out of Brock. And you're like, oh my God, they're making him the next big star. They would need to do that same thing with McIntyre to build him back up into that spot. But besides those three guys, there is, and and even if you include those three guys, right? Like look at them individually. None of them are currently in the trajectory to be put in that position. And that is a huge failure of WWE. It is. We we, we can say that the Roman Reigns title run and gimmick and character and heel turn has been successful. It has. But the true way that you measure a success of a gimmick like that is by the end. Is, okay, you have a monster super heel who's going to be holding the title for however many, 600 days or, you know, whatever it is, by the time he ultimately loses it. Who is he losing it to and what does that do for that person? We thought it could have potentially been Big E. Put him over as a monster face for WWE and he's the big star of the company. They chose to have Big E instead cash in Money in the Bank on Bobby Lashley and do it on, on a completely separate show. We thought, hey, maybe it's Balor. He's back. They gave him a demon match. It would make sense to change the title. The guy loses to a demon. You know, the total excuse written in. They refuse to do that for him. Uh, who's left? They don't have anyone where they're saying, this is the next guy. And when this guy fights Reigns, that's going to be the moment to be to give credit like AEW did with Hangman Page. Also like WWE did back in the day with Stone Cold Steve Austin. Or two years ago, like they did with Drew McIntyre. Now, that wasn't a long-term right. storyline, but they set him up and built him up over a number of months to say, this is our guy. This is the guy that we're going to crown. And right now, they have not done that at all. And crowning Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania, you're crowning a guy who already has 10 crowns. He already is an, He's already an emperor. You know, he owns half the land. You're just giving him another territory. I... I- I, I forgot someone someone mentioned this or, or tweeted. This. I don't remember where I saw it, but I saw it and I thought that makes sense. I think it's what it's going to be. I think Drew post day one, once he gets past the Corbin Madcap stuff. Oh, once he fights think, Madcap Moss on the paper. Yes. Yeah, yeah I, I think we'll see Drew starting to turn, uh, starting to get elevated. And I think he wins the Rumble. I think he gets Roman. And I think we get Drew taking down Roman at WrestleMania. That's so my think, late. That's my late December pick right now. So you're gonna say, however it happens, Reigns retains at day one, yes. And then somehow, the Lesnar feud does not continue. It could continue at at Royal Rumble. They they could they could have. But it continues without Lesnar ever winning the title. Yes. Okay. I hope. Okay. Sure. I I I I think, you know. There's nobody. Plus, again, there's nobody else on SmackDown who could really do it. <laughs> there's I nobody. Think I I think they're going to set us up for Drew Roman as one of the headline matches, and and Drew's just kind of been toiling away in no man's land for six months since SummerSlam, since whatever. I I think they're I I think they're I think they're going to after day one. I think we're going to start to see him more, and I think that'll be built up. That that's my pick because I think it makes the most sense. I don't think they're going to I because I don't think they're going to give us. Roman Brock like five times. I think they are. Otherwise, who's Brock facing? Edge? Like, like who are you going to put Brock up against at, at WrestleMania? I, I I don't know. I'd have to. 
There's no, there's Drew. I don't know. Drew, you could put him against Drew. Like, they could do a triple threat. They could do a triple threat. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe that's what it is. Maybe they do a triple threat. I don't know. And where, yeah, I mean, they did, they did that for the last mania. So it's, it's, it's certainly something they are a lot more open to now than they used to be. Could you, could you imagine Roman Reigns going through this entire title reign only to lose the title in a triple threat at WrestleMania with McIntyre pinning Lesnar instead of Reigns and him never getting pinned, never putting anyone over? The entire I could totally see that. I could totally see that. I could see. Too. It too. I mean, heck, two two of the last three manias have been triple threat main events. Uh, talk about the men and the women, and not counting the. And then you have the the mania where there's nobody there. Um, right. So. Well, two of the last yeah. four. Or three. No, two of the last three. New York. Man, that New York one feels like it was like a decade ago. It does. New York. Man. Performance Center, Tampa. Yeah. Okay. You're right. Yep. You're right. You're right. Okay. Uh, so so we'll anything else here on Brock or Roman, or should we move on? Just that, again, I love Brock in this role as getting him every week and talking and acting like he's a normal part of the roster and not just a guy who stands there while yep. someone talks has been awesome to see. I really hope with Heyman coming back, we don't just get Heyman speaking for with, with, I'm sorry, with Heyman switching sides, that we don't have Paul speaking for him again. Keep Brock the way he is right now. Because this is a, as over as a face as he's been a long time. Completely agree with you. Okay, let's move to the second part of the main event, which is the top storyline on Raw. We had MVP opening the show, bragging about what Bobby Lashley accomplished last week, getting into the WWE title match. Big E came out. He made a joke about Lashley's sisters. That hit. The crowd popped for that. He called out MVP's cheap shot with the cane. Lashley then like gave some really faulty reasoning for putting MVP and his cane in the ring with Big E and leaving them alone. I didn't fully understand that. Maybe you can clarify for me. Lashley got jumped from behind outside by Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins when he did that. So E made the save. KO and Rollins argued backstage as Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville made the completely obvious can they coexist tag team match that we literally assumed would happen on last week's show. That's how obvious and predictable WWE booking is that on last week's show, we basically said, okay, next week, you know, they're going to do the tag team match. I'm sure they'll team up since... Big E made the save, and there we go. They did it right in the first segment of the show. You can see this booking from Mars. The opener, this opening segment, really mediocre, and I thought it was exceptionally boring. Look, we could have booked the entire, almost this entire episode of Raw. Yeah, uh, correct. Last week. Yep. It's the same stuff. The whole episode was pretty dead. The crowd was pretty dead. Um because it was all completely predictable. And this this as the main event feud was it. You know, I love all four of these guys. Yep. I like what Kevin yep. Owens and Seth Rollins are doing, but just immediately throwing us into a setting it up. But can they coexist tag team match right off the top? It's like the most formulaic thing ever. And uh, so it, it it just it didn't have juice to it. Did you understand at all Lashley's reasoning for being angry with MVP? Like um, Big, so Biggie he, called him out. He's like, you needed MVP and the cane to beat me. And Lash is like, that wasn't the plan. MVP just did that on 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 his own, right, P? And I thought he was saying that almost like, you know, he will lie. Just be like, hey, yeah, right. We didn't plan that. I could, of course I could have beat you on my own. But why wouldn't he be happy that that happened? And even if he was angry, why would he be giving this guy the cold shoulder? Like, it just, it felt like well, way too of an extreme scenario. It, Lashley was upset at all the wins he got last week. He was upset at the disqualification win you know, from, from before, because 
he wants to just he was upset that Kevin Owens tapped so quickly. Like he's he wants to win in dominating fashion. I assume so. I I guess he was upset theoretically that MVP interfered, but also thought MVP could hold his own with the cane against Big E. That that's my guess. I guess. I mean, it just it was so convoluted and and it lacked justifiable yeah. reasoning to me. I guess that's the best yeah. way I can put it. It, you know, as did something else later that we're going to very similar situation that we'll talk about later happened twice on Raw. Anyway, uh, backstage MVP questioned why Lashley put him in that spot. Lashley ignored him. Then Biggie and Lashley had their can they coexist moment backstage. So we got the match. Biggie got the hot tag and kicked out of a senton bomb from Owens. Then Lashley got a hot tag and leapfrogged Rollins and with a power slam for a near fall. Rollins then leapfrogged Lashley, who accidentally speared E. Lashley followed with the spear of KO with Rollins too late for the save to end the match. The heels attacked after, drove steel steps into E and Lashley. Then Rollins helped with an apron powerbomb of Lashley, you know, from KO, plus a stomp of Lashley into the steel steps to end Raw. The heels shook hands. It looked like they were going to sneak attack each other at the end of the show. Instead, they turned around, hugged each other, and celebrated. So I didn't like the opener. I actually didn't like the match that much either. But I was fully into the post-match beatdown. Now, I will say, if Lashley gets pulled from the day one match for kayfabe injury, concussion, back problems, whatever it is, it makes the beating he gave all three guys last week look beyond moronic from a booking (laughs) perspective. To have this guy beat all these dudes and then get injured and not even participate in the match one week later would be top-tier terrible booking. But if it was an attack for the sake of an attack, just to kind of show that he's vulnerable, then I thought it was really well done. And it creates an interesting dynamic for day one with these two guys working together until we presume they eventually turn on each other during the match. Rollins and KO, credit where it's due, have been the most entertaining part of Raw over the last Mm -hmm. four, five, six weeks. So solidifying that relationship, showing that they figured out a way, yes, to coexist, while still being after the same prize, but because they're both kind of shit-eating heels, they kind of fell in the in the same zone together. They don't, you know, they don't want Lashley in the match. They don't like Big E. They just wish they could kind of compete against each other, maybe for the title. I liked the storytelling and the design of that post-match attack. So, you know, I, I wouldn't give the the rest of it 0.0, just unimpressed. But the end, I, I was very, very pleased with that, the way Raw ended. Yeah, I, I'm assuming they just they beat him down because Biggie and Lashley are the two more physically imposing guys, and you want to weaken them. But they focused the on match. Lashley, though. Yeah, well, because yeah, well, because Biggie was out of it. I think I, I don't remember. So the Lashley stuff's weird because, like, even the beginning when he's getting beat up by Owens and Rollins at the beginning of the show, it's like he's a heel still, and so. The crowd never really knows how to react to these heel-on-heel attacks, and it, it just makes it a little weird. But I, I, I agree the post-match stuff was was good. You know, I, Kevin Owens and Rollins, I'd love for them to, after this match, stay as a tag team, go get the tag team belts, and elevate the tag division to a main event-type storyline. I think those guys are just so incredibly talented. The one thing about this whole story and feud is that it, it 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 has so many of the top guys that the rest of the show really misses them mm-hmm. 
because there's just so much star power in this top feud. Um, so that's that. Also, real quick, I wrote down Lashley in the promo at the beginning. He looked like Morpheus, did he not? From the Matrix? Yeah, a little bit. And and we got the new Matrix movie coming out this week. So I I'm, I was just wondering if there was a connection there. If he went with that look, <laughs> if he went with that look ahead of a new Matrix movie coming out. He had the white pants, but he had, but he had the leather leather uh, jacket with the black sunglasses. So I don't know. I just thought of that maybe because I watched the the Matrix movies over the weekend, um, which I need to. Do. Oh, you, so you've seen the Matrix? Oh, we found one. Yes, okay. I have seen the Matrix. <laughs> I had not seen I had not seen the sequels. I watched them this weekend. Oh, okay, okay, got it. Um, the one other thing I want to ask you. Yeah. We kind of talked about it last week, but doesn't Big E just feel like another dude right now? Yeah, it's uh, we really, we didn't even talked about him this whole. We barely talked about him this whole bit here. It's really bad booking of the champion. He is the fourth most important important person in the storyline. Yep, he doesn't seem. He seems like a challenger, not the champion. And it's it's their booking of it. You know the way he ran, the way he won the title initially. They kind of just threw it into a raw. You know, they did promote it, right? And they got us to tune in and it was a big moment and there's a big celebration and people are excited about it, but they did it and it's their own fault. They did it immediately before they were going to have a pay-per-view without a title match. Like, so he didn't get a challenger. They were trying, they've been building this Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. And you have to remember that this has been like a two or three month storyline that they've been doing, Mm -hmm. a two month storyline that they've been doing. Because in the interim, they were setting up for Big E versus Roman Reigns at Survivor Series, except they never actually built that on television until the final week. So they've just been telling the same story over and over. I think Big E defended the title uh, once against Lashley because he wanted the rematch in the steel cage, which was another big moment. They could have easily saved that for a pay-per-view, and that would have been a nice pay-per-view match. They decided not to do that. They had him defend against Austin Theory because he found the effing egg. And that's been it. And that was on a Raw too. That was on a Raw. Yeah, of course, right. And, uh, and, and he had a and he had a Kevin Owens match too, which was also a Raw match too, right? And it was a good match, but it, but it was it a was. non-title match. It didn't feel it. It felt like something we had seen before, even though it was very entertaining. Yeah, Big E feels like just another guy. And this is my opinion. Very simple. If he loses the title at day one, which I honestly believe he is going to lose the title, and I. I haven't yet figured out who it's going to be. I think there's a case for all three guys, honestly. But if he loses the title at day one, it is a complete failure of a title reign and a crowning moment, which is what you, when you win Money in the Bank, I've talked about this ad nauseum <clears throat> on this podcast and other podcasts historically. It's a, The Money in the Bank briefcase should be a jumping off point, either to take a mid-carder into main event status where you say, okay, this guy's legitimate, or a guy who's on the precipice of being a huge star and elevate them into a huge star. They took Big E, they gave him a title, they gave him a little bit extra notoriety, he's doing good media stuff, all that, but they have not elevated him. They have not taken him the same way they did with Drew McIntyre when he won the Royal Rumble and then conquered Brock Lesnar and said, this is our guy. Big E's making appearances, he's out there, but on television, he doesn't feel like the guy. He's not the person who opens and closes the show. Instead, it's the challengers of him that are opening and closing the show. He comes out, makes a joke, and that's all we see from Biggie. It is a disastrous title reign, and it's not his fault. It's 100% the booking. Now, if he retains the title at day one, 
you know, if he loses it at, at Royal Rumble, I'll probably feel the same way. But if Big E holds it and he goes into WrestleMania as the champion and defends as a face champion against a top tier heel challenger at WrestleMania, I'm going to feel completely different about it. But he's going to have to hold the title basically all the way until then. Yeah, he hasn't had the moments. He hasn't had the wins. He just he hasn't racked up the wins that you need. And just compare the way they treat the title on SmackDown to the way they treat it on Raw. Right. And it's it's mostly an afterthought at the moment. And that's um that's not a problem. I, I just was thinking about it. I was like, man, this whole thing's about Lashley Rollins and and Owens. What about the freaking WWE champ? Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, again, if he comes out of day, if he looks great in day one and comes out as a winner, that's definitely a step in the right direction. But but at the moment, um, he doesn't he doesn't feel like uh, he doesn't feel like a the top guy right now. I would rank the stars in this feud in terms of who it's doing the most for in order as Owens, Rollins, yep. and then T3, Lashley, and Biggie. Lashley, because it, it is helping technically reestablish Lashley. After he lost the title, he lost a feud to Goldberg. You're kind of getting him back in there. and But Biggie, it's, it's not doing anything, but he is the actual champion. But I think Owens has been helped the most by it. He's showing a lot of personality, slight, slight character change. I think he could really jump back to a face at any time if they want him to. Rollins is killing it. And the other two are just kind of afterthoughts. Yeah, no, pretty much. Okay. Same thing. All right, so that is our main event. Uh, we did go long, so let's run through the good, the bad, and the ugly. Showing you the good, the bad, the ugly when your money gets funny and the days ain't sunny. We're showing you the good, the bad, the ugly, and this is for the hood. You got to love me. Now, there was a lot else that happened, of course, on SmackDown and Raw. We've only talked about two storylines. We have a lot more to get to. Let's try to get through this as expeditiously as possible. I will tell you just a little bit of a preview. I think this is a record for most uglies in a single good, bad, and ugly, at least as far as the Silver King, <laughs> or at least at least a record for most combination of bad and ugly in a single segment. So we'll see as this transpires. Maybe you agree, maybe you disagree with me. Uh, WWE aired on Raw the video they posted Sunday of Liv Morgan sneak attacking Becky Lynch at a wrestling school. Uh, but actually, Liv was attacking a different redhead with a kendo stick. Becky got up on her, uh, but Liv came out on top with a bunch of kendo shots and stood tall in the ring. She had the stick in the raw ring and cut a promo that was so poorly scripted and delivered. You know, I, I praise Liv when she deserves it. The delivery of this was so bad, it did not even hold my attention. Becky cut her normal promo, Liv threw a kendo stick at Becky as a weapon. She said, hey, you need this if you're going up against me. Becky felt disrespected, threw the mic and left. I saw criticism of the wrestling school video. I liked it. I think people misunderstood that the camera work at the beginning was supposed to be from Liv's vantage point, and then it changes so you can actually see what's going on. They should have just saved it for TV. I have no idea why you're throwing this out Sunday afternoon on Twitter during NFL. Just use it on Raw. Make that the only segment that we see on Raw. I don't need an in-ring confrontation promo segment when we've already done 10 of them. Just do the video. Show the video. This is what happened this week. This is why Liv and Becky are not here this week. And then they can show, you know, they can show up in a dark match or something like that after Raw goes off the air. This promo segment was the absolute pits, which is really tough to do when Becky Lynch has a mic. I'd say good for the video, but this confrontation on TV was bad. Yeah, Liv doesn't seem like she's at the point where she can cut 
the big baby face promo in the middle of the ring by herself. I think when she's been in the ring with Becky face to face, things have gone a lot better. So, you know, live and learn. No pun intended. Um, not great. The 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 gym attack. I like the idea of it. I like the idea that things happen outside of the show. That's important. I appreciate the effort. I didn't mind the whole thing. I think if you had just had somebody who was ringside, like record the whole thing on their phone, it would have made it feel more real. Of course. Yes. Like having a like having a camera in the ring during this attack and it's supposed to be just a training session kind of started to make it feel like it's just another thing happening on raw or something like that. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to give a good to the, the gym attack, even though it could have been better, but a bad to the promo on raw. Yeah. I think that's the key. Just because something could theoretically have been a little bit better. Doesn't mean that it wasn't executed well enough. The, the idea of this doing it for me completely worked. It's just one of those things where it's like, man, if it was a little bit grittier or if they use exactly. security camera footage, you know, or yeah, like even like NXT's done security cam footage. They have. And sometimes it's, yeah. a little, it's sometimes it's a little corny, but you know what? It's it's something it would have been better. But you know what? That's the history of wrestling like uh, this. That that is not much different than two people talking backstage. What's supposed to be a private conversation with a yeah. camera directly in their face. You know, that camera's live. And you have to suspend disbelief for that. But I can't suspend disbelief for an attack in a wrestling school. It's really the same thing. So That's people, people need point. to kind of get off that, you know, hill and not die on that stupid hill. Yeah, like I said, like, it, it, I, I, that's why I didn't make it a bad. I just think, of course, yeah. doing it a little bit different way could have made it even better. I'm just explaining, like, look, I always say this about WWE. There are so many things to criticize about them. And we're going to do it <laughs> right in this show. And we already have that. You don't need to make things up. That's how I look at it. Like. Some yeah, things are yes. just fine and okay and good. Sure, it could have been, been better. Yeah, maybe. But we're going to tell you it's good. The other stuff, when it's bad and ugly, it's bad and ugly. And we're going to tell you that as well. I'm going to go to something else that was good here. Charlotte Flair and Shotzi versus Sasha Banks and Tony Storm on SmackDown. Sasha did an awesome counter into a crossbody, then hit a Meteora for a near fall. Storm got a blind tag and a huge crossbody for a near fall. Flair countered her into a turnbuckle, but Storm got double knees up on a moonsault and folded Flair over with a bridge cover for the one, two, three. The only negative was the two commercial breaks. That's it. That, that's TV for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a long match. You're going to have commercial breaks. Other than that, really strong work across the board. Storm got a necessary win over the champion. Now, I was like, oh, they're going to set up a title match for day one. Instead, they're set up a title match for SmackDown on Friday. That's not great. We'll talk about that. Uh, but th this match, they got plenty of time. All four women got to show out before the bell. If we were holding WWE hostage, I think our demands would be simple. Strong wrestling, plenty of time, sensible booking. This hit all three of them. And because of that, it was good. We'll talk about what they're going to do with the title match in a moment. Definitely good for all the reasons you said. Match was fun. I'm fine with Tori getting a win here. Tony getting a win here. They've told that story. It, it works. Um, couple things i want to make sure i had this right tony storm didn't get an entrance on tv right i don't remember i think she was just in the ring i think we started with sasha's entrance and tony was already standing in the ring which was that would weird be, that would be stupid if that was the case yeah 
I'm pretty sure that's what happened. It was weird because I remember thinking, wait, Tony's supposed to be the the kind of the the face of this feud, but we're getting so much Sasha. Right. Um, which I get. Like, you know, Sheamus is bringing along Rital Holland. Sasha's bringing along Tony Storm. It's kind of what you do. I I, I get it. Um, but I was surprised if that, unless I missed something. I, I turned it on and that's what I, that's what I saw. So um, that was a little bit weird. But other than that, loved it all. I also think Sasha, since she is a face, needs to go back to the version of her music that doesn't include the Snoop Dogg part. Because mm. I associate that with, I, I say this every week, but I keep forgetting she's a face. I just, I keep forgetting it. And I think the music might be a part of that because she changed the music when she went heel. Well, you forget it because they never really did anything to reestablish her as a face. Yeah, that too. She just kind of changed sides. Like she stepped over, hit this woman. So, okay, now she's a face. That's really, and she got attacked by Shotzi. That's what it was. Yeah. Shotzi attacked yeah. her, uh, cold-blooded. And that's that's why. Good to see Shotzi again. I feel like we haven't seen her in a while. Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks. And, and for look, for them to put her in this match with the other three, that's the establishment that we need, right? That these yes. are the four and that they should all be in and around the title picture and in and around the top two storylines. And it was good. Look, I'm sure we will get different versions of this tag team match a number of times, right? Over the next year as people change heel face and different champions and all that. But this was a very, very good women's tag team match. And it was great to see yep. on the show. So what they decided to do is they decided to set Charlotte Flair versus Tony Storm for the SmackDown Women's Championship in a match next week on SmackDown. Now, SmackDown was taped. I am not reading spoilers. I wouldn't even tell you if I did. But so I have oh, no was idea. It already, was it already taped? Yes, it was already taped. So this week, SmackDown oh. is taped. And then the following week on uh, New Year's Eve, they're not even having one. I think they're doing it on FS1 as a clip show. So the SmackDown that we're talking about right now is the last live SmackDown of 2021. And there's two weeks left in the year. Huh. Was that crazy? Have, so, they, ever, have they ever... The clip show stuff, have they, when's the last time that happened? A long time. They, they did it because it's obviously New Year's Eve. The college football yeah. playoff is on. Fox said they wanted to do New Year's Eve programming instead of SmackDown. So once Vince and WWE reportedly were told that they're going to FS1 for New Year's Eve, really for, I guess what they felt wasn't a good reason. They basically said, well, we're not going to do a show. <laughs> you know, we'll just do a clip show. Yeah. If you're not going to. Hey, you know, if, if yeah, if the wrestlers get to be home for Christmas Eve and New Year's, that's good. <laughs> and that's a huge positive out of you know what yeah. they did previously. So this match already happened and um, it's We're going to see it on Friday. I have to believe in typical WWE trope. It will be a DQ finish or a bullshit cheating finish. And we get a rematch at day one. Do mm. you agree? That's a good call. I mean, I. I already didn't think Tony Storm was going to win it, but by putting it on Christmas Eve guarantees that she's not going to. Doing a DQ cheating, something like that definitely makes sense. So I, I think that's a good call. All right. And I didn't grade this match, um, but if I had, it probably would have been like in the mid three star range, like 3.5 and a B, something like that. I, I really like this match a lot. Yeah, me too. Uh, over on Raw, we had Bianca Belair versus Dewdrop. Belair had a weak backstage promo saying this was the final chapter of the rivalry. Dewdrop caught Belair flying for a front slam. Belair dodged a senton. Dewdrop got knees up on a handstand moonsault. And Belair had a cool spine buster outside the ring, which is actually pretty impressive that she was able to lift her that way. Belair later got a frog crossbody and a handstand moonsault for a near fall. Dewdrop picked Belair off the ropes for a sit-down powerbomb, but did not cover. Instead, she went for a Vader bomb and told her to kiss her ass. But Belair dodged it 
and lifted Dewdrop onto her shoulders. There was a little bit of an assist from the turnbuckles, but lifted her up pretty much dead weight for the KOD and a win in 11 minutes. The crowd went wild for this finish. There were two things this week on WWE TV that the crowd really popped for. It was Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns, and it was Bianca Belair hitting the KOD on Dewdrop. Those were like the two big time moments. This was the equivalent for me of John Cena when he hits the AA on Big Show or Mark Henry back in the day. It was the same idea. Yep. Yep. I hate rematches. You hate rematches. But it needs to be said three weeks in a row, these ladies worked great together. And you could make a legitimate argument that in each show, they had the best match or one of the two best matches on the show. I got to give them a shred of booking credit as well. They teased this finish perfectly. They teased it two weeks ago when Belair tried to do the KOD and uh, Dewdrop got out of it and then rolled out of the ring and got the count out. They teased it last week when Belair tried and failed. Then Dewdrop did, um, was going to go do the Vader bomb, but Belair caught her and instead power bombed her and got the win that way. And then they actually paid it off this week. So in terms of a three-match series, Could it have been spread out more and with a more of a storyline to it? Yes, but it was a well-told story. It made Belair look insanely impressive and it totally elevated Dewdrop, who badly needed to be elevated. That is exactly how good wrestling is booked. This was not the best of their three matches. In fact, I thought it was the worst of their three matches, but I still gave it 3.25 stars and a B and the booking of it was better than that grade. This was definitely good. Yeah, man, Dewdrop freaking rules. She is awesome. I love the entrance. I love the gear. You know, she's great in the ring. Don't love the name, but... Everything but the she, name. She's okay. really gotten to shine these last few weeks. And this, and, and, and partly because we just hadn't seen her do real wrestling matches. So even though she lost, she's gone toe-to-toe with Bianca, you know, several times now. That elevates her. Bianca, and, and because it elevates her... It elevates Bianca for beating her and pulling off a feat of strength like the KOD. This is exactly how wrestling is supposed to work. This is how you can make people look good in a loss. And Bianca is now racking up some wins to look good, which is what we've said for a while she needs to be able to do. So this was a tremendous booking, tremendous match. Both of the women are great. Five stars, just five star effort across the board on, on, on all of this. I agree. Five-star effort. I think that is definitely yeah. fair to say. And that's it's exactly what it needs to be. Yeah. that's It's so easy to do that. Just like two talented women in a feud. Did I hate it when three? Yeah. Two probably would have been okay. But other than that, that's like the only negative. And, yeah. and again, and this was and this was not a good crowd for for Raw. Oh, like it was we, quiet we that whole match until the finish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah but, but like they got them to that point because they did a great job. Going back to SmackDown and going back to the men, the Usos fought New Day in a non-title match that, oh my, I I can't even express how (laughs) angry this made me. Okay, so in terms of what happened, King Woods got celebrated by the faces backstage when the Usos called him a joker instead of a king. Woods said they'd beat the Usos tonight and then at day one. Jimmy nearly beat Kofi Kingston countering the SOS with a super kick. The referee missed a legitimate tag for Jay, so Kofi hit Jimmy with Trouble in Paradise for the one, two, three, and the win. It was probably the worst Usos New Day match of all time. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was because I was so angry at the booking, 
But even the match just completely fell flat. I could not believe it. I could not, Chris, understand this booking at all. If they already have a title match set for the pay-per-view, they literally announced, we are going to have a title match at day one. Why would they have a non-title match (laughs) two weeks or three weeks, technically, earlier on television? It made no sense in kayfabe. It made no sense in reality. It was just pure, stupid booking. Michael Cole, who's in charge of like explaining shit, even got confused when previewing the match on TV and had to clarify it was a non-title match before the bell. What you do, if you want to book this, is you have New Day beat the Usos, and then you announce the title match by virtue of them winning. That's still unnecessary. It's still stupid, but at least it makes sense in kayfabe, right? We didn't even get enough wrestling to call this good because you could say, hey, the New Day and the Usos, they can do no wrong in the ring together. The good match saved the terrible booking. No, it was terrible. This was the only reason it wasn't bad is because of the people that uh, it wasn't ugly is because of the people who were involved. This was bad. And, and this comes one week after the New Day already technically beat the Usos and RK Bro to determine who the best tag team was. <laughs> like New Day is so elevated now that what do they even need the titles for? They beat the Usos and they've got the. They've got the title of best tag team. Like, are they going to beat the Usos again in now? A, in another this? match, by the way, I'm sorry to interrupt you. In another yeah. match that was not explained in kayfabe booking because yes. they was... just had a Survivor Series match yes. where the best tag team in WWE was determined. They didn't even explain yes. why why RK Bro was on the show. Yeah, nothing. Week to week, none of this makes any sense, and all the people involved deserve better planning and booking. And this is one of those where it's like. They come up with something. It feels like they come up with something the day of and just go with it and try to retcon it into making sense. It's nonsense. Sometimes it's just better to do nothing. Do Not having this would have been better than having it. Like as simple as that. You know what I mean? Over on Raw, we had Randy Orton versus Chad Gable. Basically nothing happened in this match. I think Gable may have been the first person ever to escape the draping DDT. But as soon as he did... Orton caught him with an RKO and got the win. Gable sold the RKO like death. Credit to him on the cell. It was great. Otis attacked and Orton was unable to hit him with an RKO on two or three different attempts. I looked it up. Chad Gable has not won a singles match on television since June 2020 when he was still Shorty G. That is 18 months. Otis wins the singles matches. Gable loses them. It's every week. Now, did I expect him to beat Randy Orton? No. But let them wrestle for 10 minutes. What are you doing? This is such insulting booking for Gable. It's another unfortunate, quote unquote, match on Raw that wasn't even really a match. It was kind of entertaining, so I'm not going to go with ugly. But it's bullshit. It's bad bullshit. This is bullshit, man. It's it's like, yeah, like we've loved Alpha Academy and they've gotten some tag team wins and stuff like that. So it's it's not like they haven't been doing anything and frankly just seeing chad gable in the ring with randy orton like was exciting and i'm gonna give it a a light good for that because it was something a bit different i just wanted a heck of a lot more of it like you said i think all of those alpha academy tag team wins i I didn't think you were done i mean i thought you were done i'm sorry um i think all of those alpha academy tag team wins like at least 90 percent of them are otis no, I, I agree. I, I, I'd love to see more from Gable, but like, 
you know, this is WWE we're working with. And, you know, you take what you can get in a lot of situations. So, you know, I'd love to see Chad Gable get more wins, but they're just clearly not going to do that. I, you know, put them in the role of, you know, uh, Angel Garza and Humberto where they, when they were getting some tag team wins. I, I don't know. But I liked, I just, I liked seeing this. I hope it means we get something more. Gable's sell of the RKO was incredible. <laughs> Going literally face planting and his feet up in the air. And then the way they ended it with Otis escaping the RKO a couple times. Again, yeah, made him look good, made him look strong. And to me, clearly sets up Randy Orton versus Otis for next week, which probably won't get much time again. But it sets it, it set it up and made sense, and I kind of liked it. So I like it's a very, very light good, and that I would just love a heck of a lot more of this. Um, but considering everything else on the show that was to me demonstrably bad, I, I'm giving this a light good. Tell me if anything I'm about to say is wrong, okay? Next week, Randy Orton versus Otis. Otis dominates. Orton looks like he's going to win. Gable interferes. DQ finish. They beat the shit out of Orton. Riddle comes and makes the save. Is there any way that does not happen next week? Um, I was thinking just Randy wins on his own. Because who? There's no way they're so letting wait, Randy wait, beat, beat Otis. Well, wait. So so wait. We, we still have... Is next week the RK Bro... Bronament finals. I don't even know because these guys, these guys are injured. Like the profits haven't been on TV because they're someone's hurt in that team. Yeah. Um. I don't know what's happening with the tournament. It's not I don't next either. week. So it, it it's not it's, next but week. It's because I thought they delayed it for two weeks. So I I don't know if that's the case. If if they're injured, we don't know. If they're trying to set up Alpha Academy versus RK Bro at day one, then what you said, yes, that that's what'll happen. If they're I think not, it happens no matter what. <laughs> if, if they're just filling time and we'll get the RK Bronament next week or the week after and the winner of that will be at day one, then I think Orton just wins straight up. So Chad Gables had three singles matches since the start of November. They were against Finn Balor, Big E, and Randy Orton. All opponents where I would say, I want to see that match, right? Yeah. And you could throw in, of course, there's many other people on Raw I'd love to see uh, him against. Styles, Riddle, you know, you could go down the list. Those matches, the times of them, 5.45, 4.55, and three minutes. So even when we get Gable in a match we want to see, we don't get to see the match. The Balor match is the notable one, I think, that you and I praise the most. Six minutes, I mean, it's not long, but it's not t- insultingly short. You know, at least you get to see some action. But like all of these matches should be eight to 15 minutes where we see Chad Gable wrestle. And even if he loses, you say, you know what? The guy put in work. And this is a guy that we want to see maybe be in the mid-card picture in the next four to six months. He's not, nothing they do elevates Gable. It's always Otis. Right. And that's the biggest problem. They should be elevated as a team. Yes. And by the way, I I think they'd be good tag team champions too. Yeah. No, I love them as a tag team from the beginning. And they've been a tag team. It's like, they've just given us bits and pieces of them throughout their entire run when it's like, Give them the ball and let them run with it because they really could do a great job. It, it, it's like every time did. they're getting a, every t- Sorry. every time they're given a little bit, they do a great job with it. You would just you'd like to see it more. And we just talked about the Dewdrop Bianca stuff. Dewdrop has no right to be considered anything good, kayfabe wise, but they have some great matches. She looks great. Do the same thing with Chad Gable. If you wanted to make like if there was a face women's champion on Raw and you wanted to make Dewdrop a title contender three months from now, it's believable. You know, you you say, oh, wow, she really went toe-to-toe mm-hmm. with Bel Air. She starts beating other women. 
And then she gets her opportunity. Like you could say, oh, that works. Uh, Alpha Academy, these guys are believable. They're believable tag team title contenders and possibly champions. But you need to show us that both guys are capable. It's just what they did with Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler. Nia Jax took all the wins and Shayna Baszler took all the losses. And then guess Mm -hmm. what WWE did? They fired Nia Jax. So the person who took all the losses is the only one remaining and isn't strong at all, even though she's on SmackDown and they try to make her look threatening. They they can't because all she has done is lost for the better part of the last year. It's a huge problem in WWE and it's across both divisions and both shows. We'll go back to Raw. Uh, Finn Balor fought Austin Theory. Backstage, Theory guessed that Vince McMahon saw a future WWE champion in him. In the match, Theory was aggressive at the bell. He caught Balor on the apron and hit a draping neckbreaker. Theory later did his awesome seated springboard Spanish fly that he debuted in NXT. And I came to find out that this guy, AR Fox on the indies, uses that as his finisher. And he calls it Lomain Pain, which is a <laughs> great name for a move. Yeah. I love that. Um, anyway, Theory tried to showboat after hitting this springboard seated Spanish fly and by taking a selfie during a pinfall, but Balor escaped, hit his shotgun dropkick and added the coup de gras for the one, two, three. This was an exceptionally fun match. I loved seeing Theory show off that move on the main roster and work with a guy in Balor who made him look like a million bucks. Like with the women earlier, we got the right winner and the loser was elevated by virtue of being in this match. It wasn't exceptionally long, but it did get nine minutes and five seconds. And that's more of what I'm talking about here. Why can this match get nine minutes and a Chad Gable match can't? It should be able to. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And, you know, this is we need to see this kind of stuff from Austin Theory more like the Vince McMahon stuff is like taking so much of the oxygen. We need to remember, hey, this guy can do some really cool things in the ring and he shouldn't be beating a a Finn Balor. So, yeah, this all made sense. You know, it was nothing spectacular, but, you know, it, it made sense and. It did what it needed to do. Regarding the Vince McMahon stuff that you just kind of brought up, Theory was apprehensive. He didn't want to knock on Vince's door. So he decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to attack Finn Balor before I go and see Vince. So he beats the shit out of Balor, throws him into a road case. And of course, we're set for another rematch next week on Raw. We had a couple good months with Raw, Chris. We did. But here we go again. It's like a rematch city. The same shit every single week. As Roman Reigns would say, it's like missionary position. It's the same thing over and over and over. And it's really getting ridiculous. Theory then felt comfortable enough to go talk to Vince. He made his case. McMahon, he, he liked the attack. He hated the loss. Then he said, I like firing people, especially around the holidays, but I'll give you a rematch and a chance to make up for it next week. That is how the rematch got set. Vince erased a paper and then blew the pencil shavings or eraser shavings in Theory's face. So not only do we get a rematch, we probably get Theory beating Balor, and then maybe we get a rubber match the week later. It's just like, we cannot have nice things. We can talk about the Vince stuff in a moment, but what'd you think about that? I couldn't barely hear what he was saying. I don't um, get I had it. To go back and I had to go back and catch it. This is a problem every week, is he can barely hear what Vince is saying to him. Um, yeah, no, I, I think it sets up that. This is, this is again why this episode of Raw was incredibly formulaic. We could probably book half the show next week, um, and yeah, and then of course you know we can Vince McMahon saying he loves to fire people after literally firing 
80 something people this year. Uh, it's, it's fucking gross, man. So I'm going to take, I may take a position that surprises you a little bit. I'm going to defend this just a little bit. Okay. Mr. McMahon, which is the character you saw the name on the door. You know the character that Vince plays in this role on television. He has been all about firing people for 25 years. He makes people kiss his ass. He loves saying, you're fired. You know, it's literally his signature catchphrase. It's the gimmick. Now, is it mind-numbing for them to use that line and actually put it on their show in to close a year in which they fired 80 people during a pandemic, most of them during a pandemic, or during when it was really, really bad, of course, is what I'm trying to say. Of course, it's mind-numbing. It's it's so poor taste. And the fact that no one could think about that and say, hey, you know what? That is the character, but we really shouldn't do it. The fact that no one had that foresight is absolutely absurd. However, I want to be a little fair. In kayfabe, for this character, him saying that does make completely a, a complete sense. I just would not have done it. It it does. It, it makes sense in, in the character of Mr. McMahon. You're, you're fired is this whole thing. Yes. But when he was doing that at its peak at the time, he wasn't laying off. Correct. You know, Correct. A third of the wrestlers in the company. And there was there was an, there was an understanding. And to use that line in a backstage segment with Austin Theory, like that's not even like even if you want to do it to get some heat, this is not the moment to do it to get some heat like. We, we, you think about the times that they've referenced these kinds of things. They do, they do it for Vince in this backstage thing. The other time was Edge, was it Edge talking to Miz about getting Morrison fired? And then Liv and Morgan's the promo. And yeah. the Liv Morgan thing too. Yeah. And it's like, like if this, this is, it's going to sound weird, but if you're going to do it, like make it worth it like do it in like a big moment <laughs> if you're like, gonna take the blowback and make it worthwhile yeah yeah like Agreed. if you're yeah. gonna make it worth the squeeze get some actual freaking heat if you're gonna do a line like that not just a throwaway line for austin theory like come on like i i hated using the line for sure i wouldn't <laughs> i wouldn't have done it i don't like it but in the context of Hey, it's Mr. McMahon. You know he's the heel. Like, do it to get some real heel heat. Like, well, also, why are you you're that angry over Austin Theory losing a single match, a 22 year old kid? Like, that's the other thing. He was doing your fired, like, or he wanted to do it for like Steve Austin or Shane. You know, like it was when people really pissed him off and got under his skin, and he couldn't take it anymore. Now he's just like, yeah. oh, you lost to Finn Balor, who's by the way a former champion. I should fire you. Why? Why would you? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, no, I agree. I'm just trying to draw a distinction that, like, there is some line in terms of kayfabe and reality. And unfortunately, Vince McMahon, in reality, fired so many people that it makes Mr. McMahon, the kayfabe character, look like a dick for bringing it up. You know what I mean? Or Even though he wasn't right. referencing that. He, you know, he was referencing him. Right. Mr. McMahon, the, the evil boss, not right. Vince McMahon who may actually be an evil boss. You right. know what I mean? Like so, he's not he's not the same now, but Im- imagine Vince McMahon in the heat of something with I don't know, Biggie or whatever and he's talking to Biggie in the ring. You do says, that again, you're fired. I lo- right. I love firing people. I'll fire the new day, you know, something like that like in the crowd like, you know, get into it. Not it's just like a throwaway line. It was I agree. Weird. Yeah, I think that's a really really good point as well. Uh so anyway, um the Vince stuff, I didn't even grade this on my thing. Bad uh, the match good. 
with theory. Anyway, uh, Ms. Yeah. TV, Ms. was excited for his talk show after talking to Omas backstage. AJ Styles was excited too, but Omas was aloof. Miz said he loved Maurice. He asked her not to talk about their relationship later during the cutting edge. Styles said they should win all the titles in WWE together, him and Omas. Miz told him Omas believes the opposite, that he's carrying Styles on his back. And then Omas went to speak and give his side, we thought, when all of a sudden the Mysterio's music hits. Why would that happen? I have no idea. So we had Styles. So I, I had, wait, wait, wait. I had this thought when it happened. I said, why is a match interrupting a talk? They're, they're, they're coming out because they have a match. So I'm thinking, why are they interrupting a match with a talk show? And you, if, if commentary just said something, you, you could get away with it by saying, Miz had a set amount of time and he overran his time. We got to get to the match. That could have been explained that way. Instead, exactly. instead normally when but someone's it was, music it was completely hits, weird. normally when someone's music hits, you want them to come out and cut a promo. Like you're like, oh, they're going to interrupt right, them. Right, right. They just right. interrupted them to have their match, which was like, yeah, didn't make a shred of sense. Anyway, nope. Styles and Omos versus the Mysterios. Styles did good work with Dominic. Then Ray hit a 619, but Styles got his knees up for a frog splash. Omos turned his head when Styles tried to tag him, which was exceptionally weird because all Styles had to do was just hit him on the shoulder. Chose not to do that. Uh, and Ray rolled up Styles for the win in like a couple minutes. Styles got mad. Omos caught him flying off the ropes, dropping him on the canvas. Omos then grabbed the mic and said, next time we see each other, it will be in a match. Chris. There was nothing positive about any of this. I don't mind a tag team split. I know people get so up in arms when WWE splits a tag team. There's a difference between splitting the Street Profits or the Viking Raiders, an established tag team, than a couple of guys that are clearly together for a relatively short period of time. And you know it's not going to be a long-term thing. So in general, I don't mind a split. But if you're going to split, do it well. Make it exciting. Ensure that one of the individuals is getting super over either as a baby face or a heel. Here, there's no clear face and heel side. I think they want Omas to be the face, but he's yeah. the one turning his back on a guy who's doing nothing but trying to support him. So for me, Styles is the face, but I think they're telling us the opposite story. Omas cannot cut a promo. He has right. very little charisma on the mic, in the ring, sure, whatever. I know you like him but he, he does not have it in spades. They literally needed the Miz to explain the turn before they did the turn. And there wasn't even yeah. a good explanation provided by the Miz in this segment. The Miz TV thing, if you're going to do it, should have been next week after the fact for maybe that he's trying to mend the fences or explain Omas' side of the story. You don't do it beforehand. And I have no desire to see Omas solo. I have no idea how they would book that in any way that could be exciting. And the last thing Raw needs right now is another top male single star in Styles who's just going to get lost in the shuffle with the stacked division that they have for that right now. There's just too many mouths to feed. Plus, they were right involved in like this RK Bronament and they were trying to fight for the titles. I know they didn't get to the final round, but they were still fighting together as a tag team just recently. Even this match, the Mysterios against Styles and Omos, was like two minutes. So I can't even praise the match. This was absolutely terrible all the way around and easily, easily ugly. Zero point zero. Zero point zero, Mr. Blutarski. 
Yeah, I understand. I understand what they were going for. Like you said, they don't feel like Omas can cut the promo of the breakup, so they're having the Miz do the promo. I get it, but if Before the Miz the breakup, has to do it, but if the Miz has to do it, then you're probably not there yet. Exactly, you're, you're probably not there with Omas in 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 what you want to do with him. And it's also weird because last time we saw them, they had made up, right? Last week on Raw, they like hugged it out or something like that. And they said, all right, I forgive you. So now what changed between the, the last week and this week? Omos just talked to the Miz? I, I, I don't know. And I really liked Omos in Styles, but they were never a face tag team. And they would have been an amazing face tag team. The big guy, the little guy, it tells itself. Styles is really funny. Omos has been pretty funny. Like, it would have been so easy to make them a face tag team, but they're in the same, they're on the same show as Orton and uh, uh, Orton and, and Riddle doing the same thing. So these guys should have been moved over to SmackDown and done some other stuff with them, make them a face tag team against the Usos or something. Yeah, totally. Um, so... I'm mostly just sad because, you know, when, when these guys had their match at WrestleMania, I freaking loved it. And you didn't care. You didn't really care for it at the time. I think you came around it after rewatching it or something like that. But I was like, there's so the, he's sitting on his freaking shoulders. This is going to be so funny. You can do so many things with this. And here we are six, eight months later. There was zero character development over eight months. We don't know either of them any better. We don't know their relationship any better. You could have done funny skits. You know, you could have done all kinds of things. They did nothing with them. So now you get to the spot where you have to break them up, but there's nothing, there's no groundwork that's been built to have it come crashing down. It was already down. So everything, the turn, it all lands with a dud. And I don't know what singles Omos is going to be or supposed to be. So we'll see. The match, I have no idea what to expect from the match. I'm still a big Omos guy. I just feel like they haven't done much uh, to grow him they haven't. over the last eight months. And and that's, that's, that's disappointing. They've done nothing with Omos. And you make a really good point. I don't know that they were miscast as heels per se, but they definitely should have turned face at some point. They... They had yeah. a lot of runway to go with them as a face, with Omos getting major cheers. You could sell shirts. You could do a ton of stuff. I guess maybe because they had the buddy-buddy RK bro going, they figured, hey, we don't want to do two of those. But they would have been different, especially if they were on different brands. So it's just a it was a misuse of them together um, or an underwhelming use, I should say. Not a misuse, an underwhelming use of them together. The split was horrifically done. I have no desire to see the match. What? So Omas is going to beat AJ Styles and then do what? Like, are you going to make Omas world champion? Because if you're not, what benefit does this guy give you being on the roster? He can't even, like, say what you will about Braun Strowman, okay? I know a lot of people didn't like him in the in the ring. I thought he progressively got better throughout his entire career. Mm-hmm, totally. Same with the mic. Progressively got yes. better. Was never good on the mic, but was never bad on the mic. He was acceptable. He could do his job as part of the thing. Omos can't speak. And I'm not saying it's a language thing. I'm not, I'm not trying to give him a hard time. You, you can barely hear the guy. He's so deep voiced. And like, I know Andre didn't cut promos back in the day. I realize all this, but it's 2021 and it's WWE. Unless this guy has a manager, maybe you put him with Miz. He just switches to someone else and Miz manages him or someone else 
you bring up like a Malcolm Bivens and Bivens manages him and he's just this monster beast who beats the hell out of people. Unless you're going to do something like that, this is a sink or swim situation. And I'm telling you right now, he's a big guy. His ass is going to sink. Yeah. And I, I don't put a lot of that on him. I, I, I Look, I don't know what kind of training they've done. I don't know promo work they've done with him. I, I don't. Maybe he's not progressing. I, I don't know. But theoretically, the split in him being the face would tell you that they do trust him and have plans for him. At the same time, you have The Miz, a heel, cutting the promo for him. So it's very kind of hard to wrap your mind around. It's, it's very strange. I, I'm not a fan of what they're currently doing with this whole deal. All right, so the second half of this was the cutting edge where Maurice was the guest. She said she was not on the show to be Edge's friend, but only because Miz never lets her speak. Maurice pointed out she could have been seriously hurt last week when Miz threw her in the way of the spear. Edge saw the whole thing as a bullshit ploy. He saw right through it and said he would never do it to Beth Phoenix the way Miz did to Maurice. Then Edge caught Miz sneak attacking him from behind. So we're thinking, oh, really smart baby face here. But Maurice hits him with a purse and slaps him. Miz gets skull crushing finale on him for a second straight week. This was only saved for me, Chris, by Edge being a smart baby face, which in WWE, we do not get enough smart baby faces. He was smart enough, knowledgeable, experienced enough to sniff the whole thing out. It feels like this is leading to a mixed tag team match at WrestleMania. It really, really does. But that is four and a half months from now or three and a half months from now. That's a scary proposition to continue this feud for another three plus months. If they do it more simply and they do Miz and Edge at day one, which is already booked, and then they do the mixed tag team match at Royal Rumble, I'm all in for it. This segment was good because of Edge. But as we kind of theorized a couple of weeks ago, they're really trying to find stuff to keep this thing going until day one because they started it a little bit too early. Yeah, I mean, that was something, you know, we knew was going to be a bit of a stretch, you know, with the time off between Survivor Series and and, and day one. Um, I like this. I thought Maurice cut a really good promo explaining you know, why she was upset with the Miz about he doesn't take care of the kids. I take care of the kids. Like, you, you know, that was a pretty damn good promo. And then obviously Edge didn't buy it and called it a country song or whatever he said. Um, but credit to Maurice for, I, I think, cutting a really good promo there. Um, and yeah, like I said, I, like I've said from the whole the whole time with this, I don't want this to be a three or four match feud. You can do this. You can do the one match at day one. You could do a mixed tag if you want. Um, and be done with it. I think it'd be great. So I, I, I'm still good on all this. Um, but yeah, they are kind of dragging a bit because of just the calendar. On Raw, we had Damian Priest against Dolph Ziggler in a United oh, States God. Championship Contenders match. Do you are you saying <laughs> you, you, oh God because you know I'm about to go off or because I uh, well you tweeted about it but also I, this was this okay. might have been one of the worst things on the show. Yeah, it was one of the worst things on the show. So they had this match. Ziggler hit a superplex. Priest got a near fall after a broken arrow. Rude tripped Priest on the ring apron. So he went from Priest to Damien and then got counted out as he beat Rude senselessly at ringside, giving Ziggler the count out win. So this isn't necessarily, and I've said this from the beginning, it's not necessarily a bad gimmick for Priest, but the booking of it is absolutely horrendous because it forces almost every single match to have a moment where he needs to flip and turn to the dark side. So you know you're just waiting every match that he's in. It could be a 25-minute match, 
you're waiting 24 minutes for someone to do something that pisses him off. Then he flips and gets DQ'd or gets counted out. I mean, this is a guy, you have to remember, who had not lost a singles match on the main roster. Now he's lost two. One via DQ on a pay-per-view pre-show. I think it was the Survivor Series match against Shinsuke Nakamura. And now another one via countout to Dolph Ziggler. Also, on top of the shittiness with Damian Priest's gimmick, which, by the way, the guy was over and he was doing just fine before the gimmick change. This whole storyline is nonsensical in kayfabe. You have Robert Roode get a title match on an open challenge two weeks ago, scot-free. But Ziggler, a 13-time champion, I believe also in in that, a two-time world champion in WWE, has to win his way into getting a United States championship match. What sense does that make? I'm slightly okay with the fact that they're at least using the title and having him in, in, I don't even want to call it a singles feud, but a storyline involving the title, whereas Shinsuke on SmackDown is still stuck in this weird tag team deal that they're doing. But that doesn't make this good. This was so, so bad. Who is Damian Priest? We've still gotten zero explanation for this gimmick change. He's not cutting any promos. I don't understand it. He's the freaking U.S. champion, and he's completely irrelevant. They've they've been doing this gimmick for weeks, months now, and we still know nothing about it. There is zero character development here. This is what we talked about. Was it last week when we said, you know, WWE says they want to be Marvel, but there is zero character advancement, just like there was zero advancement with AJ and Omas. Why is he doing this? I still don't know. It's been months. <laughs> and now, like, you, the, the inconsistency with who gets the title shot and who doesn't and losing via countout, like, the way he did just makes him look like a dumbass. Like, Damien Priest opened a Raw with the mic not long after WrestleMania. And got like, cheers. You know, and got cheers, and there was clearly like a push forward. And then instead, he wrestled. Who was it? He wrestled fifty times in a row. Morrison, wasn't it? Morrison, Miz and Miz, Morrison, that, some combination. And, yeah, yeah, it was insane. Like they have completely dropped the ball with this guy through no fault of his own. He's been given absolute crap to work with. R- just absolutely ridiculous that they keep doing this week after week. Zero, zero reaction from the crowd during this, um, among many other things, because. Like, it takes two seconds for none of this to make any sense. And by the way, like 50% of the match was during a commercial break. So we got like two minutes, uh, a five-minute commercial break, and then two minutes with a DQ finish. It was just... And by the way, there's, they're still doing the thing where they do entrance, commercial, video package, then the next entrance. And it's like 10 minutes before the match starts. They, 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 a couple weeks now, they've been doing this. They did it again, SmackDown on Raw. I hate it. it it's just so bad. So uh, what's your grade? You have to choose now. Ugly. Ugly, ugly, okay. Ugly. All right. Uh, ha- I save my uglies for segments like Happy Talk. So a full week oh. after Drew McIntyre put the sword in the desk, a full week later, the happy losers were still pushing the desk around with the sword in it. In what world, Chris, does that make a shred of sense, right? Okay, you have the desk. You can't get the sword out, let's say, okay? So you take a chainsaw or you lube it up. Or, you, you know, a million different things that you would try. You stick another, like a, a knife in there and try to pry it loose. You do a million things to get the sword out. You don't just wheel around, I don't know, a 300 pound desk from one week to the next with a sword sticking out of it. Where did they put it? Did they throw it into the Maserati that Baron Corbin was driving <laughs> around? Like what happened to this desk over the last week? 
there were CM Punk chants during Madcap yep. Moss's really shitty jokes. This was in Chicago. They tried and failed to pull the sword out of the desk. McIntyre joked that they were having performance issues and then took them out two-on-one with no effort and pulled the sword right out of the desk. I guess, like you said, what was it, King Arthur? At the very end. Then he sees Corbin on the ground and he swings the sword at him and tries to murder and decapitate Baron Corbin with the sword. Corbin later backstage said McIntyre is going to fight Madcap Moss one-on-one at day one. What? How is that a PPV match? How do you put that on a special event? It's not even a pre-show match. That is a mid-show SmackDown three-minute squash, if anything. If you want to put Corbin and McIntyre together, you could say, okay, you know, that can be a pre-show match on a pay-per-view or maybe even a pay-per-view match if you build it well. How is any of this real? Think about all of the bad gimmicks that Baron Corbin's had during his WWE run, the shit with the dog food, the constable, the assistant GM, and realize Happy Corbin is the worst by a mile. And what makes it even more insulting is that it was coming off maybe his best gimmick on the main roster by a mile in sad Corbin or or broke Mm -hmm. Corbin or whatever the hell you want to call it. This whole thing is straight up ugly. I am not one who enjoys in 2021 CM Punk protest segments. But if you were ever going to do one of those, especially if you're in Chicago, it was in this spot during this segment. And if I was in the arena, you know what? I would have done it too. I am pissed off. I'm pissed to the highest level of pissivity. Ugly, terrible. I hate this so much. I can't even, I saved curse words. I held them inside. Terrible. Like, I don't know if they think this is heat or not. Like, it's it's so bad. Like, I just, I want to change the channel. You know it's going to be absolute garbage. The fans are not booing like, oh, we want to see you get beat up. They're booing and saying, can you just please put anything else on our goddamn screen in front of our eyes? Uh, I mean, you you laid it all out what was and what it's not. This is, this is the ugliest thing by far Corbin is such talented dude and gets put in the absolute worst gimmicks time after time after time. And McIntyre is hanging around this. I, I I know it's weird to picture going from this to winning WrestleMania, but I think they've been trying to keep him kind of out of sight, out of mind a bit. Uh, yeah, this is so bad. I it's think so bad. if memory serves, they did something similar with like Roman Reigns where he had that three month feud with Corbin where it was just like mind numbing and you hated every yeah. moment of it. And then he finally got over Corbin. And then I think like he won the intercontinental title after that. And then he dropped that. Yeah, maybe. And then he was put back into the main event. Like, okay, you need something to do with Drew McIntyre. Why don't you have the guy go after the intercontinental championship? Okay. You can do face face. Have somebody go after another Gunnell Championship for God's sake. Have anyone go after the Intercontinental Nobody's going after it. We're not even mentioning, I don't think, Shinsuke Nakamura on the entire show. I don't even remember. I don't think he was on SmackDown Friday. So it's just, it's wild that on, on, even with a limited roster, which they do have, on SmackDown in particular, you cannot figure out something else for Drew McIntyre to do. Put him in a tag team situation. Like, there's so many things 
He's being held down by management, by the way, for no reason. Like, Pierce and DeVille won't book him in the Battle Royal. They won't put him in uh, a gauntlet match, which we're going to talk about, I, I think, in a moment. They just refuse to do anything. And McIntyre's okay hamming it up with Happy Corbin and Mad Cat Moss, a gimmicks that should be shot into the sun and never heard from again. So freaking ugly. So bad. All right, let's keep going. Speaking of ugly, somehow, Cesaro versus Ridge Holland. So Ridge drilled Cesaro in the ribs with a cane and he taped them up before the bell. Sheamus distracted and Holland hit a side power slam to beat Cesaro in four minutes. Total garbage start to finish. Yes, I realize they did an injury angle to excuse it, but Cesaro should not be beaten this easily. It's now happened in consecutive weeks. I think it was seven minutes with Sheamus, maybe less than that. Four minutes with Ridge Holland. Did Cesaro beat Sheamus? I don't even remember. That's how convoluted this whole thing is. No, he did did not. So Sheamus beat Cesaro? Okay, so it's been short losses in consecutive weeks to both of these guys. Just let people wrestle. Why don't you involve Drew McIntyre in this? Why don't you have him team up with Cesaro and battle Sheamus and Ridge Holland? There you go. The Europeans Mm -hmm. all together. It makes sense, right? Instead, Drew's doing this bullshit. This was ugly. I wish I could say it was bad. It was so much worse than bad. It was ugly. Yeah, it's 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 something that's just hard to keep my attention. Surprisingly, um, ugly. I just I don't really know where this is going. I, I just it's it feels just like it's randomly happening. Speaking of the Intercontinental Championship, we're not going to talk about Shinsuke, but because he didn't do anything, but they did book something for it, which is interesting. So Sami Zayn wished Adam Pearce and Sonya Deville happy holidays backstage. Asked for a universal title match. He's like, look, I got screwed. Brock said I got screwed. Give me the title match you know I deserve. They said, you know what? We're not going to do that. You had your chance. But what we will do is put you in a 12 days of Christmas gauntlet match for a number one contendership for the Intercontinental Championship. And I actually have to say, I really like this booking. We've been begging Shinsuke Nakamura to get a challenger. A 12-man gauntlet is pretty damn crazy. I don't think I've ever seen him with that many people. (laughs) But if Zayn wins... He would be a great opponent for Shinsuke and Rick Boogs, the comedy stuff. It actually would all work together. The competitors in this, that's my problem with it, are Drew Gulak, Mansoor, Cesaro, Ricochet, Jinder Mahal, Shanky, Ivar, Eric, Sheamus, Sammy, obviously, Angel, and Umberto. Why the hell are these the competitors and we don't have Cesaro in there? And we don't have Mustafa, no, in and we don't have Mustafa Ali in there. You said Cesaro. I did say Cesaro. I don't know whether yeah. he's in it or not. Let me let me do a quick count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, he's in the match. I'm glad Cesaro's okay. there. Why the hell is Mustafa Ali not in the match? Tell you tell me. Um and why I mean, are he's we barely having, on TV? And, and why are we having well, he was on paternity leave, but why are we having Ivar and Eric, who should be nowhere near a singles title picture, and Angel and Umberto <laughs> in this match at all? You pulled them out. Because that's there's no, four. There's nobody you, left. Wait, you add, you add one more. Uh, it's weird. Anyway, who who, who are you going to add? There's nobody left. Ali. Yeah, but th- you took out like five guys. Add Ali, Holland, Corbin, and Moss. They're busy pulling a sword out of a stone. So, oh, fine. <laughs> but some of these other people are in storylines. All right. Anyway, yeah, this was good. I like that they're doing a crazy ass gauntlet on Christmas. It'll waste a lot of time on the show. Hopefully Sami Zayn comes out on top. Or if not Sami, Cesaro or Ricochet or like someone where it's going to be valuable. 
Yeah, I'm curious. Um, I'm curious how at first I was thinking, wait, does Sammy have to go through 12 people to win? I don't assume that's assume it's that. How well, it's it depends be. if he starts, but whoever starts. That's what I'm that's yeah. what I'm curious about. Uh, that's what I'm, I'm you know, he could be the first person and say, hey, they're trying. It's a conspiracy against me. And then he somehow beats 12 or 11 freaking dudes. I, I don't know. I'm I'm interested in it, at least for sure. It would be a pretty good conspiracy if they did decide to continue with that, where he's the first one. He beats eight people and then loses. And it's like, you know what I mean? It's like, what the hell? Yeah. What the hell was I supposed to do? So that could be good. But this I was mean, I hope he wins. I, like I, I want to get him in the IC picture. I want to get the belt off of Shinsuke to someone who's doing something. And Sammy is someone. If you want Shinsuke and Rick Boogs to be a tag team, let them be a tag team. There's no yeah. shame in that. I'm OK with it. But. The whole point of Boogs is supposed to be to elevate Nakamura. Instead, Boogs is the one getting over. Nakamura is not doing shit. It's just, it's a joke. A couple more things. Let's run through these really quick. Viking Raiders fought Jinder Mahal and Shanky. Both teams got intros like five minutes apart. And then the match started during a commercial break. I just, this goes back to what you were talking about earlier. I, it's it's nonsensical when they do that. Ivar hit a huge splash on Shanky for the one, two, three. The match wasn't anything special, but the Raiders do seem to be getting a new push and they have a new chantable music. They're trying to get it going. They've gotten some wins recently. The crowd did pop for the finish, but it doesn't yet know the chance, so it didn't do that. I thought this was solid. It was a bit longer than expected. I could be like a pessimist and say bad, but I, I saw a little bit of promise here, so I'm going to say good. Um, it, the, the, you met, like I wrote down in my notes, this was the entrance commercial video package entrance. But after we get back to the Raiders, the Raiders doing their chant, and it felt like we had they've been chanting for. Ah, I knocked my mic over doing the chant there, doing the the the, the pounding my chest thing. It felt like they were doing the chant for um like ten minutes or something like that. So, um, it was fine. They're doing. I don't know. I, I I'm on between that good and bad, right? I can go either way. It, it was very inconsequential, where I didn't really have any opinions on it. All right, we had Rhea Ripley against Zelina Vega, or Queen Zelina, I'm sorry. Nikki Ash was watching backstage. Zelina countered into a cool-looking cutter. Ripley then caught her with Riptide for the win in two minutes. So, <laughs> so the storyline is obvious, right? Without Nikki, Ripley easily wins. With Nikki, she loses in 45 seconds. But you can still do that storyline with solid matches that make both women look good. It's like WWE... When they have a storyline they want to tell that they don't think the wrestling needs to be there, they just say, you know what? Let's not have the wrestling. Let's just put them in the ring, get them out, do the storyline, and that's it. You shouldn't use a match as a storytelling device for 45 seconds. You should use it over five, six, seven minutes, right? You just built Queen Zelina up. You've been building her up ever since the debacle with Madison Square Garden, which we've already discussed on this podcast. They've given her a bunch of wins. She won the Queen's Crown Tournament. Coming out of the tournament, she won a couple of matches. And you're saying, whoa, Zelina Vega is being built up. Good for them. And then they have her lose in two minutes to Rhea Ripley, looking like an absolute joke. Ripley was throwing her around like she was a ragdoll. And, and truthfully, size-wise, she is a ragdoll, you know, compared to Rhea. This is absolutely terrible booking of the women. 45 seconds last week, two minutes and 10 seconds this week. And you know there's going to be at least one more of these with some combination of the women. The, you, you have Carmella. They're the women's tag team champions. There are no women's tag teams and no women's tag team storylines. Carmella wasn't even there. 
This is just straight up ugly. This must end. Yes. Um, ugly. I like that they're letting Zelina Vega cut promos on the way to the ring and get some heat on the crowd, do the do the British accent, switch to Spanish and start yelling and <laughs> kind of go back and forth. It is fun. Um, yeah. it's, 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 it's pretty fun. She does a good job of that. Just would love to get them more time and more story. So, like, I'm giving it an ugly, but it's not because of the people involved. It's because of the booking. It's not the wrestler's fault. I like Zelina's in and out of accent gimmick. I think it's actually pretty funny. Yeah. 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 But it's it's just the booking is horrendous. It's so bad. It's, it's wild. Like, think about a year ago. Not even a year ago. Uh, WrestleMania. Rhea Ripley winning the women's championship. Kind of this crowning thing. And, and she's just floating doing this weird stuff that doesn't make any sense week after week now it's stuff it's it's just she's she is being she is the number one woman being wasted right now in the company she is number one at that list uh naomi versus Shayna baszler over on smackdown naomi said the only thing on her christmas list was fighting sonya deville sonya said she was in a toot can't be in in a toot in a suit can't be touched uh but Shayna really wanted to fight her so they did the match again deville distracted and baszler attacked from behind Shayna attacked the knee, but Naomi folded her over in a really weak pinning combination for a win in literally 30 seconds. Just let them fucking wrestle. Why are you beating Shayna in 30 seconds? Why? What purpose does it serve? It's already happened. We know the bullshit going on with them. Just don't put them on the show one week. Just don't do it. Let them have a six minute match at at a minimum or don't have him in the ring at all. This is absolute bullshit. It is not that difficult to book. Abhorrently ugly. Yeah. Um, I'm. They're back to the bullshit with this. This started out really hot. It got into nonsense. Then kind of picked up last week with Zia Lee and stuff. And like, oh, this could be something. And then it's just back to this bullshit. It's, it's again, it's talented people who deserve... Uh, to be treated a heck of a lot better. And I, I don't understand. Like, I, I, are they going to try to do Naomi, Sonya at day one, finally? Maybe? I don't know. But good Lord. Just come on. This is crap. I really miss Asuka, by the way. She needs to get her ass back here. Uh, Natalia <laughs> got asked backstage about Zia Lee and said she'd need her own protector if she ever stepped to her again. I'm not making any judgments, you know, based on people's looks, but I just have to say, Natalia looked like a completely different person in this promo. Like, I, I don't know what the deal was with that. It looked like, like a different wrestler. I hardly recognized her. Super weird. Uh, there's nothing to really judge here. It is a good first opponent. Natalia and Zaya Lee, like that booking makes a lot of sense. I didn't like that we didn't get any follow-up from Zaya. A taped promo, an yep. appearance, a match, a squash, maybe mm-hmm. against Aaliyah or something like that. I didn't like that, but I am glad that we're getting Zaya and Natalia. So I guess I'll say good you know, just for the basis of a grade, but you know, that's it. I actually thought that was a pretty good promo from Natalia, basically saying she is the standard and anybody new has to go through her. Like, yeah, makes sense. She's the Dolph Ziggler of the women's division in that way. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I don't know how you don't, how how you don't have this big, this big debut for her and then not have an immediate follow-up planned the next week for, for Zylie. I I mean, unless something happens, we don't know about and they have to change, but I, I don't understand. Like, is there an actual plan with her now? I, I don't know. To, to not have a follow up makes me think 
I don't know if they know what they're doing. Like, why not have her kick Aaliyah's ass in the ring and then have Natalia watching on the monitor and say the same thing she did? Yeah. If you want it, like, you know, when we talk about these 30 second, 45 second matches, squash matches are okay, but it can't be against established talent, you know, in, in situations like Naomi and Shayna and Rhea Ripley and Queen Zelina. But if you want Aaliyah, who's hardly established out there and Zaya is debuting and you need her to get an easy win, she can squash her. That's okay. But they just yeah. don't do things like that. It's it's crazy. I mean, speaking of not having plans with 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 women, I mean, the, sh- the Shotzi thing comes and goes real quick. Tony Storm comes up, doesn't do anything. Uh, Aaliyah comes up, gets a Survivor Series spot, loses the spot for no reason, and we haven't heard <laughs> anything since. Like, I don't think like, seriously, I, it doesn't feel like they have plans for a lot of these women. They're just coming up with stuff week to week. It, the the booking across the board this week was just pitiful it really was you know we we had been saying yeah you know for a year smackdown is being booked so well and raw is being terrible and then we recently flipped and said hey you know what raw pretty damn entertaining over a six-week period of time what they change writers or something like smackdown's been terrible now it's both like the last two weeks has just been very poor storytelling and booking across the board for both shows really i mean they they have their moments we point them out we have our goods you know we have the brock lesnar and roman reign stuff but Holy crap, it is bad across the board. Speaking of, uh, Dana Brooke and Reggie were looking at like weird light up Christmas trees in a warehouse or somewhere in Milwaukee. R-Truth was Santa Claus. Tozawa was an elf. Tamina attacked and Dana escaped once again. It's just bad. Yeah, I, I don't even care. And then, <laughs> and then lastly, and then lastly, last week, we got a different Veer Mahal, Mahal oh my God. Uh, <laughs> vignette where he spoke and he compared himself to a lion. It was good. This week, we got the same video as last week. So I think it's been eight weeks at this point. I believe it's been two months. When's this guy showing up? Like, we should do an over-under. Memorial Day? Like, like what is the date that is the over-under of Veer Mahan making his debut? I'm going to guess their plan is the Monday after day one. I have to believe that. What about you? I don't know, but it feels like a bit because they even tweeted it. They said, call your friends because Veer Mahan is coming to Raw. And like, I swear they did that as a joke because all the replies were just people, you know, making jokes about it. So I, I, I don't know, man. Well, WWE <laughs> social media under- tries to do this self-aware thing to like make things okay. Mm-hmm. Like when there's mm-hmm. a can they coexist match, they type it out in all caps. Oh my God, yeah. can they coexist? Like, okay, they're in on, in on the joke, but they're still doing it on television. Right. It's a problem. And that's the problem is that, yes, it's funny. And if you didn't do it for six months and then you did and then you made the joke, then it would be funny. But if it's on TV every week, it's not funny. Yeah, no, I, I'm like, I have no thoughts. I'm just like, all right, there it is. It's like a commercial at this point. Yeah. It's like a cricket commercial, basically. Yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. You know what? You're exactly right. It's one of those things that you just see and it's part of the broadcast. Okay, so Chris, that was it this week uh, in the world of WWE. Um, like I said, uh, when I previewed the good, the bad, and the ugly, more of a negative week than we've had in quite some time. I, I think even when we give benefit of the doubt in the past, uh, WWE did not give us the opportunity to do that this week. And I just remember watching SmackDown. I was I was more positive this week about SmackDown than I was Raw, but just watching both shows, I was just down on it across the board. Nothing, only like two or three things feel like a big deal. It's a problem. They, they've completely fallen back into rematch city, formulaic stuff week to week. We're just trying to fill time. We're not trying to do anything that's going to be entertaining. We're not, not trying to do much of anything that you're going to remember from the show. 
they're not telling the story barely outside of Brock Roman. It's just stuff's happening. Okay. And there's, there's no thoughts on it whatsoever. Exactly. And the question is like, do they even have end goals in mind for half of these things? And the answer most likely is no. It feels like they're just crawling to get to day one, get into WrestleMania season and, and try to get going. But it's dull right now. And look, look, things do pick up during WrestleMania season. So maybe this is one of those scenarios. Not that you should ever, you know, when you're in this industry, be void of ideas. That should never be the case, right? But maybe this is a scenario where they're like, look, we have these plans. They're going to get kicked off, you know, starting with the build to the Royal Rumble in WrestleMania season. This is our time. And right before it generally is a little bit dull. It is. But I mean, they're making day one an important pay-per-view. They're not even building towards that well. Kind of. It's kind of important. We've got Mad Cat Moss versus Drew McIntyre. You have Brock Lesnar versus Roman Reigns. You have a fatal four-way for the WWE Championship with big names. You have Edge on the card. You have Edge on the card against The Miz. You have two women's title matches against opponents that fans want to see, even if it's, you know, the, the opponents may not be the the Baileys and the Sasha Banks and the Oscars or the Bianca Belairs, but they're people that fans want to see on that show. So they're making this a major, they're building this as a significant pay-per-view. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll have the preview next week. So we will. It's finally, it's finally happening. And that's a good way to take us out. A reminder that next week in this spot on Tuesday will be the WWE Day one ultimate preview. We will discuss both go home shows. This upcoming Friday night SmackDown is technically the go home show because, as I told you, the following one on New Year's Eve is going to be a clip show. So, yes, we'll have both go home shows in the books for a first time in a while when we do an ultimate preview. That will be on Tuesday show. In between now and then on Thursday, we will be back to talk AEW and NXT. And then After that WWE Day 1 Ultimate Preview next Tuesday, the following day on Wednesday, we will have a very special 250th edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, where we bring to you the Getting Over Awards, a.k.a. The Meaties. All right, he's actually on time this time, but I'm going to have to jack up that reply like uh, 18 decibels to make people hear it. But thank you for being on time there, Chris. (laughs) Uh, the meaties will be handed out uh, just over one week from the taping of this podcast. The second annual meaties look for the nominations on Twitter at getting over cast. We want you guys to fill in the blanks. Basically, we will have nominees for every category. We want to make sure we add anyone that we might have missed before the voting begins. The voting form for the getting over awards, a.k.a. the meaties will be released on Friday and you will have 72 hours to vote. All of that is happening this week. So be sure to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast for all of that. Also, please do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is all about Defiance. So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Hit that five-star rating And on Apple Podcasts, leave a review. Let people know how much you love the show. Seriously, for our Spotify listeners, I want to get 100 five-star reviews really quick. I want us ranked. That will help us massively come WrestleMania season, which is our biggest time of the year. We get that five-star rating. We jump up on the wrestling podcast charts as they're just starting to build them. That would be huge for the show. So if you listen on Spotify, like I told you, just go to our show page, which you're already on right now. Hit the five-star button, or if you don't see that, hit the three dots. 
then hit rating and drop the five-star rating. Right there, I would greatly appreciate it. We'll be back on Thursday talking AEW and NXT, of course. And as I said, that WWE Day 1 preview with the awards and our final show of 2021, the AEW, I think it's New Year's Smash and NXT New Year's Evil uh, preview show. That's all going to come up next week. For Vintage Chris Vanini, this is the Silver King Adam Silver Team, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.